Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast for adults. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. The Kinky Cast is heard in over 150 countries. This is our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Today, we present episode 302. Unicorn Husbandry, Philosopher and Sadist. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. We had fan mail this week, and one of our listeners in the United Kingdom said, Why don't you get a Fet Liberty named Unicorn Husbandry? And I said, Hmm, I hadn't been following him, so I checked him out. And here he is. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me on tonight. Your writings are uh, amazing. So after following the suggestion, I dug into some of your writings, and I can't say what hundreds. uh, You know, there's so many of them there. There's quite a few. I've been prolific. I had a moment where I was writing several times a week, and then I pulled back on the advice of a very good friend who said, take the time and write what's important and throw away the rest. It has actually helped me to focus more on living the experience of life and then taking a moment to write the highlights, the the things that actually mattered, uh, revelations perhaps if they occur, or sometimes just relaxing into the joy of the moment and the poetry of the experience working itself into the prose. You are quite the philosopher. You uh, dig deeply into these subjects. I fell in love with philosophy as an adult. My college degree is actually in theology, uh, which is a strange bedfellow to kink in general, but uh, I'm sure many theologians have uh, pretty kinky little backgrounds behind them as well. So, Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I took a theology course in college too. It was uh, very interesting as it joins up. I found myself at the end of it uh, falling more in love with the philosophy and the history. And as, a, as an adult, after having children, I started looking at the idea of the books that I had never read but probably should have as a, a, a responsible adult. And this led me into a lot of primary source history and, and a lot of philosophy. Uh, names like John Paul Sartre that I knew, but I had no idea who that was, or Kierkegaard which is a funny spelled name and a funny sounding name, but I had no idea what it meant or who that was. And so I just went on a bit of a journey to educate myself as an adult, philosophically speaking. And uh, that has had broad application uh, into the world of sexuality. One of the things that you did uh, to expand your sexual horizons was read uh, Marquis de Sade. I did. I had actually read uh, The 120 Days of Sodom, uh, at the, my senior year of high school. And I'm sure it was more prurient interest at that point than uh, philosophical leanings. But I, uh, I actually, on my nightstand right now, there is a copy of uh, a compilation of his uh, with Justine and Philosophy in the Bedroom, which is a fantastic uh, story for anyone who's looking to engage in sadism or masochism. But uh, it's sitting right on top of Simone de Beauvoir's The Second Sex, which is probably the earliest... Uh, good proto-feminist work. So I, I like to think that I have a broad range between the uh, uh, between the two. I would say they're like polar opposites. 
You know, they are and they aren't. Um, I would say the engagement in uh, Desaad's version of libertine hedonism is paramount to being a feminist and embracing everything that it is to be a woman who makes her own choices sexually about who she will be and how she'll be defined. So uh, in a strange way, I like having a threesome with those two. Ooh, sounds like fun to me. (laughs) How long have you been, dare I say, kinky? From the very beginning uh, of my of my experiences in dating, uh, my very first girlfriend wrote her name by biting it across to my chest <laughs> on our third date, uh, and her name was Amanda. Oh and my I have God. to be honest, that's a lot of letters. That's a lot of letters. Her name wasn't Sue; it was Amanda, and that is by the time you're getting to the N and the D, that's awful. But uh, but it was fantastic and. I I absolutely loved that patent leather-wearing, chain-smoking, bleach blonde. And uh, after that, I really really started finding that the more brutal side of sexuality uh, appealed to me. I list myself as a sadist, but I definitely have a flair for sadomasochism. I like a bit of primal interplay in my own sexuality that I discovered... It, through my dating experiences and then with getting with Rainbow Kitten 7, um, the two of us in our marriage explored a lot of lanes of kinky fuckery. Yeah, you have a, a, a thing, an accidental writing called the conundrum of fucking kittens, colon, the economics of relationships with nymphomaniacs. Interesting title. It was it was a a bit of a story of the journey that she and I had gone on when her libido exploded in her 40s. It is insane what happens to a woman in her 40s. Had I known that in my 20s, I never would have fucked a 20-year-old. At the end of the day when when her libido exploded, what I thought was a really good sex life Went to two to three times a day. She couldn't get enough. Uh, I was running out of steam. And after six months of fucking that little kitten three times a day, up until two or three in the morning, getting two to four hours of sleep a night, I hit a moment where I was like, I'm out of fucking bullets. I have shot my (laughs) last bullet. That's it. It's uh, what I had thought was an unlimited supply really was about a 10-round clip. (laughs) (laughs) And I came up on a night, and I swear it had never happened before, and she was like, I want to fuck. And I'm like, I can't. I literally can't. And I'm looking at my cock, and it's looking back at me, and I'm like, come on, dude. And it's like, fuck you, Jack. I need to sleep. (laughs) And And, uh, Lazarus would not rise. So uh, at that moment, I was like, I've got to really think about this. And back in our earlier years, we had uh, we had played uh, played little hot wife games and had threesomes and things of that nature. And it was always fun and it always spiced things up. But I realized Kitty's a bit of a slut, and by a bit of a slut, I mean she's massively a slut. Um, she is uh, non-monogamous by nature, and so because of that, I was like, well, perhaps uh, we'd had a friend who had gotten her onto FetLife because she wanted her to go to a local club with her. And uh, so I asked Kitty if she wanted to open the doors again and maybe take on additional partners. 
Now, it backfired a little bit on me, because although on one hand, she was able to go run off some energy, and that was great, it just meant that she decided, well, now she could fuck somebody else for a few hours, and then want to come back and fuck for a few hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if it actually worked, but it was an interesting exploration of the idea of what has happened, uh, and what I found through that article was how many, how many women this is true for in their 40s. Uh, who, who in at this stage in life, they explode with sexuality, and uh, I don't know. I'm kind of a worshiper of that thing. It's it's amazing, and it has definitely uh, exhausted and changed my life. I've certainly seen a number of women that uh, come into their 40s and their sexuality blooms, and they are looking for different things, more things. You know the the insatiability can be amazing on some people. You know, I like to think that our 20s are much like our childhood years, our elementary years. We're, we're brand new and we're exploring everything. And then we go through our 30s that are a lot like junior high, and they're awful. They're awkward because we usually had kids, and whatever job we have, we're not really good at yet, and we're definitely not making the money we should. Oh, how true, how true. Our 40s are a lot like high school. And suddenly we're realizing that there's keggers out in the cornfields and there's all kinds of interesting people and interesting things and all of the things that were happening to our bodies in our 30s, we can finally do something with in our 40s. Our kids might be old enough to actually stay at home by themselves. Uh, we may not need to get a babysitter anymore. We're at a point where our kids may be leaving home and going off to college and doing their own life. I think we have found our 40s to be a new playground where we can actually get out and explore what our life could be because we finally have a moment to breathe again. Now, that's just guys. For women, they just go batshit crazy with their hormones and suddenly have a capacity for sex that is staggering in its implications. Rainbow Kitten, your wife, was on the Kinky Cast and her uh, subtitle was Hot Wife. Uh, episode 260, if uh, any of our listeners want to go back and check that out. And at the time, she had referred to you as a wonderful lover and uh, that you brought a lot of depth into her life. And now I'm getting the whole picture. I'm getting your side of it also, which is interesting. You put the two of them together. If we take her desire for sex and partners and things and, and your desires for sadism and, and working it out on people. You have brought Polly into this also. It's strange. I, I feel like I have, to, I have to say I didn't bring it into the equation. After several years uh, in this specific lane of lifestyle, but throughout the course of our marriage, uh, over two decades, I have had a philosophy of love that I refer to as love with an open hand, uh, love without an unless. Being able to love somebody completely, seeing them as exactly who they are, and letting them be just who they are, and loving them for that. Taking away the boundaries. Uh, I, I wrote about this a, a while back, but it, for me it's the idea of removing the concept of sin from your partner, not allowing them to ever have a thing that they could do that is wrong in your eyes. That has been my philosophy of love toward Kitty throughout our relationship. And she's always been selfish, but like in a really good way. 
like in a bratty, selfish, princessy, kittenish kind of way. That makes me come a lot, and it's awesome, and and I'm I'm not upset at it ever, but in an extreme act of unselfishness, I think all of the years that I had treated her in that fashion welled up on her, and she approached me with the idea of allowing another partner, a poly partner, into our world. There was there was someone who existed uh, in our in our vanilla life who was very much in love with me, and she was aware of that, and she was aware of my attraction for this woman. Uh, and it was unusual. I was, at first, uh, everything in my brain went off with the, uh, it's a trap. <laughs> Say As no. we often do, yes. <laughs> and I argued with her for, for weeks and told her, no, you don't want to go down this road. And I, I don't know if I want to open this door because once opened – that's not one you close very easily. But she was insistent, and uh, Kitty is nothing if not stubborn. So she held to her guns, and she was like, you know, this is probably going to kick me in the ass a little bit, but I want this to be available to you. And i got to be honest, it's probably the most striking thing that has happened in all of my life. I never expected her to come to that. But when she did... She has made such a concerted effort to be uh, the best metamorph she could uh, to my little wolf, who I know, that's what I nicknamed my uh, poly partner. They are very close friends. Our children play together. We do dinner together. I see my little wolf a couple nights a week uh, in a more intimate fashion. But it all came out of Kitty. They're actually, while we're doing this interview, they're out having coffee right now. It's good that they can be friends. You know, that makes the whole thing easier. I think it's good. Uh, we were friends for most of a decade before we opened this up. And uh, it was a huge surprise to me that this came onto the table uh, through Kitty. But I love it that it came from her. And uh, I love it that her hot wife play came to her through my suggestion. So I feel like uh, it's a very gift of the Magi. <laughs> they, they are gifts to each other, and that, that's the wonderful thing. And your writing on the Polly is another interesting title. The Long Strange Road to Polly, colon, Illicit Cigarettes and Carving Pumpkins with Pretty Girls. So you might notice I really dig long titles uh, and subtitles. And I swear that probably is the philosopher in me who can't just be succinct enough to have a couple words for a title. But uh, I'll take that bullet. Illicit cigarettes, really? It all started because she had, back in college and in, and in high school, she had been a bit of a bad girl, smoked cigarettes. I know, I, I put it out there at that I know everyone knows smoking's terrible for you, and I know it's terrible for me, but... My God, I'm in the middle of doing so many other things that are terrible for me, and I can't think if I'm doing the things that make blood drip off of people, then smoking is really the least of my problems. But <laughs> And for God's sakes, it's the coffee that's going to kill me first. So, yeah, I had offered her a cigarette, and uh, especially once I found out that she used to smoke, but she didn't smoke anymore. There's a little piece of me that loves to get inside of somebody. And go, oh, is that bad? Is that something you shouldn't do? Do you think you shouldn't do that? That's fantastic. Let's play with that. And so... 
You are a sadist. <laughs> I offered her a cigarette. And she said no, which was great. And then she came over to the fire where I was sitting at with friends and sat down so nervous and asked me if she could smoke with me. And it was it was her way of sort of coming to me in the very beginning and sort of going, okay, I want to be bad with you. It began the friendship more than anything else. And she and I, uh, along with Kitty, have sat out on my porch and argued late into the night, many nights, and over many bottles of wine. The, everything from politics to philosophy to child rearing and education and everything in between. And, but it always, always ends up with her on one side and me on another. And it's been fantastic. But carving pumpkins, the first moment that the two of us actually had where we legitimately recognized there was something there was something there. Uh, it was a cold October, and I, I, have a, I have a pumpkin carving party that I do every year and invite friends, and it's usually a lot of drunkenness and pumpkin chili. But uh, she was there, and it ended up being that she and I were the only two out in my garage carving pumpkins on this cold-ass October night that uh, most of our wiser friends decided to stay inside and drink apple cider. And as the two of us worked together, the banter, the mess, it just became incredibly apparent that the sexual tension was thick. And I had a moment where, as she was carving, she's this gorgeous, uh, gorgeous long curls, and she had pumpkin all up in her curls. And it was a mess. And so I reach up with a hand. And I just pull some of the pumpkin out of her curls. As I did that, it was like my hand and her body went on fire. And the two of us looked at each other and realized right in that moment, okay, this shit is real. There's something actually here. And then one of our asshole friends walked into the garage and said, and said I'll never forget this. He's like, look at what a fucking mess you two are making. And it broke the tension. And we never talked about it for years until Kitty brought it on the table. It was me recognizing the moments that had been there before we knew they were moments. The fire was lit and it was just a matter of then uh, bringing it around to where it worked out for everybody. But I have to be honest, uh, I would never have made a move on it if not for Kitty. I am a believer in the power of will and I believe that believe in that probably more than anything else. And I could have found her attractive and interesting until the day I died, had it not been for Kitty opening the doors uh, as graciously as she did. So I have always looked at the story of my polyamory is not the story of any relationship that I'm having, but it's the story of Kitty being gracious and loving and giving me a gift that could never have been asked for, but uh, I can never thank her enough for that's a wonderful story, and uh, you're a lucky man. I, I feel it all the time. I have a poly relationship, and I feel I'm a lucky man too. So it it's all good. I want to go back to a starting point now that we're uh, mostly through the show. And when I read your FET profile, uh, you have the About Me section, and the first word in it is stop. <laughs> yes. And... Uh, 
you then go on to have a link to a triggers page. And I find that interesting. You're the philosopher, so you're giving out a lot of information. That comes with a warning. You want to tell us a little bit about the warning? My philosophy of sadism is one of total freedom, brutal honesty, and with that becomes a total moral freedom. I love and I love well, and uh, but I play and I play dark, and it's not just physical play. I know a lot of a lot of people who are sadists or or like to play at the edge of sadism, and they do it by hitting people with a stick, hitting someone with a flogger, mastering a dragon tail whip, and that's fantastic. And those are great things, and uh, they're interesting, awesome skill sets. But that is not the limitation of my brand of sadism. I believe if you're going to adopt that as a philosophy, as a lifestyle, you have to have the moral freedom to face truth in an unmitigated fashion. And a lot of people break on that wheel. And I don't go seek out anyone on a FET life. Um, I don't look for people at munches. I don't try to acquire a submissive or anything else. But if they come to me, and if they want to play with me, if they want to talk through whatever the issue is, if they, want to, if they want to engage in conversation or friendship, what I want to make them aware of is, I may not want to fuck with you, but if I do, then I already told you that I did. And I already told you what it might look like. And so if you want to play that game, if you want to play Brutal Honesty, then I'm going to make you face brutal honesty. I'm going to throw it in your face. I'm going to make you actually process that deep, dark, fucked up part of you. And we're going to get it out. We're going to work it. We're going to see what it looks like. And at the heart of that is your desires. It's the things that you want that you don't like to look at. And from my perspective, that's what sadism is. It's not cruelty to no purpose. It's not meaningless, psychopathic cruelty. It's cruelty to create. It's cruelty to form. Uh, it is a manipulation. And uh, I don't shy away from that word. I don't look to gaslight people. I look to tell them that they have been gaslighting themselves. They have been pulling a false reality over themselves. And I want to strip back those layers. Now, I don't seek them to do that. But if you walk into my home and you want to engage with me, then that's what it looks like. And I didn't have the trigger warning up to start with until I realized that some of the softer and kinder and nicer people who were living in a much prettier world than I live in uh, wanted to play and wanted to talk because they thought it was exciting to talk to a sadist. And I get that. Uh, who doesn't like to dip their toe in the mud? That's awesome. But what I want them to know is there's fucking crocodiles in that mud. And if you dip the toe in, it might get bit off. So I felt like it was fair warning. And I'm not going to say that there were not a few mistakes and mishaps before I put it up there. Because there were. But I decided I should at least give the fair warning if someone wants to engage in the conversation. I'm going to engage it in a real fashion. Interesting uh, way of putting it. And, you know, I have seen people that have engaged with sadists and they go down a couple play sessions 
And then all of a sudden, oh, these guys are abusers, they're assholes, you know, all those sorts of things. You lay it out up front, you know, here it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty unapologetic about it. Um, I'll be honest, if I'm going to walk away from my little paramour with blood and breast milk dripping off of my chin by the time I'm done with her, then I'm not going to act like somebody else's fragile little psyche is outside of the realm of possibility. Because I want to taste that too. I want to see what that feels like. And I want to see what they look like on the inside. I view that trigger warning as saying, if you don't want me to find you interesting, it's okay. Fuck off then. Go away. Live a pretty life and... I don't know, do do your thing, you know, <laughs> that's cool. But if you want to engage in mine, if you want to engage in my kink, well, we color with the darker crayons. Very interesting. The last subject that I want to uh, brush across here is mentoring. Mentoring. Um, I receive a lot of requests from people. I communicate fairly well in writing. I'm I'm aware of that. And... I think that it brings folks to the table to want to have a conversation about how they might be able to uh, bring out or elicit the sadistic tendencies in their partner, uh, the dominant tendencies. I talk a lot about alpha leadership and primal play. I've, I have a very successful relationship that I'm insanely proud of, and I've had a lot of people want to talk about relationship success, and I don't mind mentoring in any of those lanes. I don't mind having the conversation and offering the advice I can give. I put a limitation on it. I don't believe I will never be somebody's cyber dom or long distance dom or long distance fucking master or whatever else. I'm not looking for that. But I don't mind a good friend who wants to have a good conversation and wants to explore how they can do what they might want to do. Now, the problem that I often have to tell people is, those who seek out self-help advice are usually those who will never be able to accept self-help advice. It's never going to work. Because the way you become an alpha leader, the way you become a sadist, is you're born that. The way you become dominant is because you already are dominant. You, you, you know you're a leader because you look behind you and there's a shitload of people following you. That's how you know. I don't believe that you become a dominant because you learn how to hold a flogger in your right hand. I don't believe that you learn the proper downstroke and upstroke. There are things you can learn. Uh, there, there are skill sets that I see people teaching with rope or fire cupping, things of that nature, and that's fantastic. You can learn a practical skill set. But how can you learn to be a fucking ubermensch? You can't. You either are or you aren't. And I think that that's sometimes the hard advice that I have to give someone is that if you're trying to be this and it's not working, it's because that's not what you are. Or, for the ladies, quite often, if you're trying to be, get a submissive man or a beta male, which is not necessarily submissive, just not necessarily dominant either, if you're trying to get that man to become dominant, you might as well try to get water to flow uphill. It's not going to happen. And you're going to frustrate him and you. So you can either learn to love the man he is, or you can get the one you want. But you're never going to turn a beta male into an alpha. 
at least that's my philosophy of it. And uh, so sometimes my mentoring ends up making somebody, I guess, a little more upset with himself than it uh, does. But that's why I put a trigger warning because I don't necessarily say I'm out to help somebody, um, but I, I will give them honesty. If somebody asks for advice, then you're delivering and it is advice. It's your advice. One of the things that my paramour loves to tell me is she's like, your philosophy is a hopeless philosophy that leaves someone in despair. And I'm like, yes, because the world is that kind of place. The resting state of the world is chaos. It's not peace. And a lot of times the answer is despair, not hope. That's not the brightest message, but I find a huge existential freedom in it because if you know that that is the world, then your ability to take hold of it and move in it and have free choice of anything you want to do and any lane you want to go down, uh, everything opens up to you because most of it is sort of meaningless. Wow. <laughs> it's a dark view, but that's, uh, you said that early on that you uh, play dark. I do. There's a depth in dark also. Really cheerful about it, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, there it is. I want to thank you uh, so much for being on the show tonight. My guest is Unicorn Husbandry, who is married to Rainbow Kitten 7, who was on the show back in episode 260. Quite a pair, I will say. Um, <laughs> I, I guess you guys break a lot of furniture. You know, uh, we've definitely had our moments. Fun stuff. I want to wish you and uh, your Polly family all the best. And uh, as these writings go on, let's uh, talk again. Thank you very much for having me on the show. You have been listening to episode 302 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our kinky crew, I'm Max. Join us next week when we present, Deb, the Kink Shrink. 